Happy New Year, and welcome to the first ever podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Bolm. On the show today is one of my longest friends I've had in music, the vocalist of Law Dispute, Mr. Jordan Dreyer. He and I, over the years, have had a very public friendship. Uh, both of our bands came up about the same time. We did a split seven inch together during a very formative era, played a lot together back in the day, uh, which has led to us seemingly being two peas in a pod uh, to a lot of our listener base, uh, which I'm totally okay with uh, because I love the guy. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to be the John C. Riley to his Will Ferrell, you know? Anyway, <laughs> um, just before we ended up talking, uh, he let me know that his partner, Sam, who's a frontline worker, had just got the vaccine. So I asked him to give me some sort of insight on that. So that's in the beginning of this episode, just before we get into an in-depth history on Law Dispute and Jordan, Jordan's life. Uh, I appreciate you being here. Welcome back. Like I said, this is the New Year's episode. This is episode 25. Um, yeah, hope you enjoy. This is the first ever podcast, and this is my conversation with Jordan Dreyer. So happy New Year, Jordan. <laughs> happy New Year to you. I'm thankful to, to, to move the calendar page to yeah to the next thing and cross our fingers it's better it you know it's it's funny that we all have this expectation that 2021 is going to be better <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> yeah i know I, I i've been thinking about that like everyone just thinks uh, it's, it's such an arbitrary difference like anything is going to improve tangibly in one day just because it's no longer 2020 as if the year itself were what cursed us yeah yeah i mean i I know we're all just kind of like, I'll take what I can get. So like, just knowing that Trump can't tweet, uh, in like a, pre- <laughs> in like a presidential stance, you know what I'm saying? Like I've, I've been just thinking about it. It's like, well, cool. Now I can just like mute the word Trump and it won't affect me after January, yeah. whatever, 20, whatever, you know, it's like, it won't affect anything once he's tweeting. So like, that's nice. Like he has zero power yeah. going forward. So like, that's a nicety, but like, I mean the the damage is done, <laughs> you know. Right. It's it's sort of it sort of ends at the ability to avoid tw- <laughs> the the tweeting in an official capacity. Like I can now tune it out, but it doesn't really. Yeah, the damage is done and will continue to be done. And it's not like he even will disappear from the public forum. So. Oh God, no. Yeah, God, no. Um, you and I were just talking the other day, and you mentioned that mm-hmm. your uh, your partner Sam just uh, just actually got the vaccine, and I'm just curious. Um, we talked just very briefly about it. Uh, I'm just yeah, I'm curious like what the experience was for for her and how she's feeling today and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it was it was so so she is a frontline healthcare worker, which anyone listening could probably deduce. Because we're talking about her having received the vaccine, she is yeah. not like a a head of state or uh, <laughs> or a professional athlete, <laughs> somebody who's pushed to the front of the priority line for any. Anyway, she she yeah. uh, is a speech language pathologist, and she works in both a hospital system and she works um, at a skilled nursing facility, which is actually why she was towards the top of the priority list for early vaccination. Um, it happened like super abruptly. It seems like such a a mythical thing, right? Like uh, we've been talking about a vaccine for nearly the entire 
duration of the pandemic and now all of a sudden very quickly it's here in at least a limited capacity so like she texted me three days ago or two days ago and was just like i'm I'm scheduling my vaccine appointment and i assumed it would be like a couple weeks from now but it was like nope two days or a day from now whatever so right it happened super quick and then i i dropped her off at one of the hospitals here in seattle and she was gone for half an hour waited in line showed her credentials it's like a flu shot like she got a flu shot and then she had to wait for 15 minutes for them to monitor for symptoms i imagine uh of an an allergic variety so waiting to see if she has some sort of negative reaction to which is what they i mean they do that with a flu vaccination right you like get a flu shot and chill for five minutes while they make sure you don't whatever go into anaphylactic shock or something so she just sat there for 10 minutes and then i picked her up and her arm was sore for the most for most of the day and that's right extent of it so you know because you're a musician and a writer and all that sort of stuff i'm curious uh what do you remember the first time that you felt a connection with music that was more than just maybe what was on the radio like something that felt like yours that you connected to as a young person Sure. Uh, I have like two um, moments that I think were like revelatory kind of personal moments with music. When I was a kid, I just remember um, my dad, my parents had like a big fucking horrendous looking entertainment center, which was the the fashion of the day, Mm -hmm. uh, all encompassing with the, you know, VHSs and (laughs) and the VCR. And my dad kept his his old records um in that and i remember i don't know how old i would have been but my dad plays guitar and would sit in the living room at night when he got off work and play music and somewhere along the line i started poking through his old vinyl uh which i don't think was his favorite thing in the world at the time because i was little and i think he was protective of his (laughs) his possessions which at the time i'm sure to him felt like a uh an artifact of a different era because this is when nobody was probably listening to records really sure um so like i think he uh, is a six-year-old kid or whatever i was probably older than six going through his old neil young records i think he was afraid i was gonna tear tear sleeves and get cheeto uh, stains and juice on it get get (laughs) get spill my spill my capri sun uh (laughs) this might have predated capri sun don't check that um (laughs) So you learned how to you learned how to like pull out the record, put it on the turntable, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I would just yeah, I would sit in the living room during the day and just like I, I, the records that I really like remember connecting to were really just Neil Young and uh, I probably destroyed my dad's copy of highway 61 revisited that bob dylan record that i still love um so that's like the first i really remember connecting to and then my dad like playing neil young songs in the living room and me thinking like everybody does you you know your your parent is the tallest and strongest and my dad was a shredder on the guitar which is probably not true in any capacity (laughs) (laughs) could play a neil young song yeah uh so there's that that was like that was like when i started to love music did those records stay with you even throughout you know when you ended up going to junior high and high school like did you have did you always remain champion like 
being a champion for uh, for Neil Young and and Bob Dylan. Like, did yeah. you take that with you? Yeah, still to this day. Yeah. But I I do think that that like you know whatever I don't know that you can like draw uh a line from point a to point b always in tracing somebody's musical journey mm-hmm. or artistic journey in any capacity but i i i think that falling in love with those records when i was really young probably paved the way for me to uh connect on a deeper level to music later on um because there's like you know it's it's more than just commercially produced superficially appealing pop music which uh i don't mean to denigrate but like hearing songs that had substance and emotional depth and political and social value uh probably made it easier for me to connect and so when you were i mean did you you never played any instruments though right I, as far as i know you've you've never played any instruments any instruments at all did you ever try no uh, I tried. I <laughs> very aspirational uh, Christmas gifts as a young person wanting to. So our Brad and I um, are our cousins. For anyone listening to this, eventually who doesn't know that we are cousins, and um, we've always connected. He's a few years older than me, but we've always had a mutual love for music. And I remember um, Brad played drums when we were really little. I was learning how to play drums, and I asked for a guitar for christmas from my our grandparents and it was like the shittiest like toys r us guitar i think it had a a built-in speaker in the body of the The guitar and i was gonna yep yeah i was gonna learn how to play guitar so that brad and i could eventually start a band and i probably played it for a week and then never touched it again and i'm not sure whatever happened to it (laughs) um and then when i was a little bit older i asked for uh, synthesizer whoa and i got one yeah i know right uh, so i don't know how old i was but that was my second aspirational gift um and i probably did the same thing with that spent maybe a week tinkering with it and then decided i lacked that ambition and uh somehow managed to to make it work anyway without without learning how to do anything musically what was do you remember what was driving you to want a synthesizer like did you find like new wave bands that you were into or what no honestly i, I honestly think that i was listening to a lot of 31g bands i think it was like when i was like 14 or 15 oh okay it was it was a love of the locust probably that okay. pushed me um but i also this this sounds this sounds ridiculous but i think i also just thought it looked cool i think they're pleasing aesthetically sure. the way they're designed so yeah. i think i saw it in a catalog and was like I enjoy the way that this looks. Um, but I, I do think that I was listening to a lot of the Locust. A lot of white, time. white, which belt, was actually sassy, sassy stuff. Yeah. 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 Yep. A lot of, a lot of sassy white belt stuff. And, and that is a honestly, um, original, original designs, uh, between Brad and I, when we were in high school and, uh, tinkering with the idea of starting a band was to do something very sassy which you know maybe early a lot of speed's pretty it's sassy and there's a there's a sassy undertone sure did brad ever like bands like the locust that seems crazy to me i don't think brad ever liked the locust uh he he he, uh trying to think like I, I, Brad's a couple years older than me, but he, I remember Brad listening to a lot of like Incubus and stuff like that when we were younger. And I was, um, I probably had cooler 
record store tastes, hmm. um, which is obnoxious. And who are you talking uh, to? Come on, <laughs> <laughs> the one who worked in a record store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah. I, so I, I think yeah. that I was like, I when I was like thirteen or fourteen, I had a friend who, um, I had you know a friend with a cool older brother and a CD burner. So I got into hot water music but i also got into modest mouse and i got into at the drive-in through my older brother and i think that brad and i really connected on uh bands like at the drive-in first i think that was our like the middle ground common ground yeah 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 the middle ground between <laughs> incubus and like the punk stuff that i was listening to so like at the drive-in and then glass jaw brad was a big glass jaw fan yeah um and then we like you know that first march volta record that was like the stuff that i think brad and i really um initially found common ground on sure and that makes total sense was lot of speed the first like kind of your first and only band yeah it was my so i like did <laughs> going back to the synthesizer conversation yes please uh i like played a show with one of my good friends still to this day who um still makes music um he my friend damien who like runs his own boutique tape and vinyl label and makes like lo-fi black metal and is extremely talented and uh still still a close friend he and i met in high school and started a band that played one show where my little brother played drums and i i think i made thunder noises on the synthesizer and that was the extent of my contribution uh so that was like the only <laughs> that doesn't really count so that was the only other thing that i had ever done brad had like a couple was that your first time playing a show was that like your first show experience yeah yeah that oh, was my man. first musical so i did like a lot of the public performance stuff when i was in high school i did a lot of theater and so i, I like had experience performing in other capacities but uh that was my first show at like a in the back room of a coffee shop in Grand Rapids. And what was the what was kind of the formation there? Was it was it you and Brad saying let's start something together now, like and actually, you know, I'm going to sing in this band. Like, how, how where did you get the uh, the idea to to start singing in a band? Um, I I hate that. <laughs> I hate that I'm getting into this. I actually love that I'm getting into this. Um, yeah. So so in that show, we played with one of Brad's old bands. And I, we covered a Rage Against the Machine song Hell that yeah. I sang on. And I must have done an exceptional job. <laughs> it must have really blown Brad's hair back because right, yeah. um, I remember after the show having a conversation with Brad where he was like, we should, like, we should do, we should, I think what we agreed upon was covering an At The Drive-In song with his band and, and me doing vocals and... I think probably less than my my voice impressing him. I probably did like the Cedric crazy legs thing and my my mere presence on the floor of this coffee shop basement or whatever it was. Right. Really impacted Brad permanently. <laughs> and that set set history in motion. So, yeah, we covered a Rage Against the Machine song. I left an indelible impression on my cousin Brad and we started talking about covering another driving song, which we did. What song um, did you cover? Do you remember? We covered Cosmonaut. Nice. Um, which is a great song. That record's great. Yeah. And well, yeah, we did that. And it was, and he knew, so he he knew a bunch of other people that played music. And initially it was um, two people from his other band. 
our original bass player and Chad's older brother, Derek. <laughs> and he also knew uh, this dude who played, like, listened to, you know, metal, whatever. Yeah. Or a version of metal named Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first incarnation of Lotus View was covering that the driving song with our old bass player, Adam, Chad's older brother, and then Kevin, dear, dear, sweet Kevin. That's such an interesting first lineup and how it turned into what it is today. You know, yeah. like <laughs> I, of, of all the things, I think it's the older brother, like Chad's older brother. And then like, what was yeah. the circumstance there of, of his older brother passing down the torch to, to let Chad uh, take his place? So I see if I can remember this correctly. So Chad's older brother is a few years older than Brad. Okay. Um, I think that he was maybe a junior or senior when Brad was a freshman in high school and they got, they met and played music together. Um, and they went to like a real stodgy conservative uh, rural school. So they were, you know, like there's only, there's only a handful of alternatives in the student body. So you really glom on to, whoever's wearing a 311 shirt or whatever. <laughs> um, so they, I think that it was just like, we were, we were kid, we were, I don't know. I was 16 and Brad was probably 18 or 19. Yeah. And Derek was probably 23. So I think he just had other designs for life and was moving on to other endeavors and didn't have the time for it. So we did that first ep and then derek i think played our first show and then chad took over it just happened it just happened that his younger brother also played guitar and i think that's funny because chad said such like a big uh played such a big role from the minute he joined in defining our band and the way we sound so it's just funny that when you say the first ep does that mean vancouver that means vancouver yeah yeah. Oh, wow. I think we initially, I think it was initially an LP. It's, yeah, like, I, I think in my brain, I always thought that Chad played on that. So Chad's older brother is playing on that. Yeah, Chad is not on that. Wow. Uh, it's funny, this, we had this, I was having this conversation earlier this morning because uh, I was talking to Sam about uh, a copy of Vancouver just sold. There's not very many. Um, do you have a copy? I don't even know. I do have a copy. You have a copy. I do. I gave you, we probably gave you a copy back in the day. So there's not very many. There's like maybe two, I think there's 2000. I think we pressed it twice Mm -hmm. and there were a thousand copies each time. Uh, I might be wrong about the specific numbers, but in the first version, there are like, there's like five portraits in relief of each member of the band. And the first pressing, I think it's, Derek, Kevin, myself, Brad, and our old bass player. And I think when we did the second pressing, we replaced the photo of Derek with a photo of Chad and a photo of our old bass player with a photo of Adam. I love that. Uh, and now you're making me want to check which one I have. So this is going to be fun for the yeah. podcast because uh, my records are directly behind me. I'm going to I'm gonna look. Hold tight, everybody. <laughs> Hold tight, everybody. Yeah, please look. I'm going <laughs> to... Uh, I'll announce it as I do it. Oh, I can't wait. As the sound of a record opening. All right. If you have the first, if you have the first one, if you have the first one, I don't even have it. So I think it might might be a copy of my parents' list. (laughs) 500 bucks. Oh, you're talking about on the back. Uh, Is it on the back? Yeah, it's on the back. Uh, That has to be Chad, unless him and his brother look identical. They don't. 
Okay, so Chad has like a so kind it, of kind of a swoop hair thing going. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I'm assuming I probably got this from. Um, would you have potentially had this when we played that first show together? Would you have had this at like the merch table? Yeah, I, I would. Im- I would guess. I would imagine that that was something we had early okay. on. Um, um, so, was was recording Vancouver your first recording experience? Because I'm curious what that was like for you. Yeah, other than so we had like uh I think my very first recording experience was demoing three of the songs that are on Vancouver in our friend's basement. Okay. Like his dad's like his like hobby studio. Um and then not long after recording the songs uh for Vancouver. Was Vancouver in like an was it like in a nice like recording studio? Cuz I mean the record sounds definitely good for for like a band's first release. Yeah, it was in an actual studio. We we didn't do it just like uh with a friend. We went to so we knew someone that Brad and I worked with's friend was an engineer at a studio in like the West Side in Grand Rapids. So we actually went in for I don't know how long it took us to do it. Um probably not terribly long. And I don't really remember how we did it, to be honest. I remember actually holding like an sm58 or something and not recording because i couldn't figure out how to yell into a freestanding microphone which is kind of funny to think about it's still hard for me at least yeah it takes me it takes me a little while to get into that it's so strange to like be able to yell without using my hands without holding my hand up to my mouth exactly and also you know your voice does sound different you know like i I feel like our genre kind of in particular i have to imagine is like one of the only ones that like when you're standing in front of a an expensive nice microphone and you're doing what we do into it it it's it's dramatically different than when you see us you know perform live because we're holding obviously a a much cheaper microphone and running around and and i i know i cup my mic you don't because you're a professional um It took me a long time to figure out to can I don't know to like kick that habit. I got yelled at. That was my thing. It's not being a professional. It's getting shamed by somebody. Who... Oh, I get shamed constantly. <laughs> <laughs> do you still do it in the studio? Do you still hold a microphone? No, I mean I, I we I'll use the fancy <laughs> mic. I actually when we recorded is survived by um, Brad Wood, who we did the record with. Uh, I explained to him yeah. that like you know I was like hey. You know, I, I kind of feel like I've never sounded like myself on any of our records. Um, I wonder if it'd be possible to use a handheld. And he got really inspired by that. He was like, yo, let's like, let's use an SM58 and then like duct tape like a, this other microphone to like the top of it. So it gets two different kind of frequencies. Yeah. And, and, and then when I heard it back after recording the entire record, <laughs> I was like, this has no clarity. I can't understand half the shit I'm saying. And it's like, yeah, oh, well, no. it's because you're, you're yelling into an SM58. So then I had to retract the entire record, which. Holy shit. I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought I, I think that I I think that I vaguely remember the first part of that story, which is why I was curious if if you'd worked something out because. Yeah, it was one of those things where dude, what a- <laughs> I, I don't know if you're I, I have a feeling you and I are probably pretty similar with with being self-conscious of of yeah. of a lot of things. So like when I when we got those first mixes of that record no one was saying anything about it. And I was like, am I, only, am mm. I the only one hearing this? So then um, we were still on Death Witch at the time and I texted Trey and I said like, Can, like, what do you think about the sound of the vocals? And then Trey responded with, 
Oh, so we can talk about your vocals? <laughs> oh, no. Devastating. Devastating. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, what, what do you think? And he was like, oh, I can't understand a word you're saying. Why is no one talking yeah. about this? Like, this is the problem. Dude, I see. Ugh. That's why you're self-conscious. That's why we have issues. Yes. There, our bandmates are responsible for our complexes. No, I, I need, like, I don't feel comfortable I need this is this is a role that Brad has always played played because he's very particular and he's it's very it's very easy and maybe it's because I've known him my literal entire life yeah. that I can read him like an open book. He's not particularly good about masking his emotions. He's not subtle. He's, he's not subtle. <laughs> no, no, he's he doesn't want to talk about it, but you can tell. So if we're recording something and and this goes back to the very beginning, but and and now we have a better way of working it out, but like. If I don't hear explicitly from Brad one way or the other, I don't feel comfortable going for it. I need Brad to either be like, Jordan, that sounds like shit, or to be like, that sounds fucking great. If he doesn't say anything, I cannot get out of my own head. Right. <laughs> I need I need somebody to play that role because 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 if he's not going to, no one else is probably right. Like right. everyone, you, you maintain a certain distance from other people's contributions. Like you obviously uh everybody should be happy with the product that gets put forward but you sort of have to like put the bulk of your confidence in their ability to have a vision and execute said vision so you don't want to like step on something if somebody i don't know so like i need i need somebody to validate what i'm doing before i can like fully commit right well we're also studio. we're also singers and bands so we need validation in general but <laughs> we need i need yeah which is i need somebody to be constantly mouthing the words you're doing great to me <laughs> in the room while i'm recording and, and i don't know I, I you know i know your band so well at this point too where i have to imagine that mm -hmm. your your band is similar to mine to where in the past when you've recorded vocals you're probably the whole band probably isn't there yeah do you remember how you felt going into that studio the first time though? Were you nervous? Were you anxious? And is it much different than how you feel in a studio now? Um, I mean, I, it's hard to think back that far. I think that we were just excited. I, I think that, mm -hmm. um, you're, you're at that age in your, your first go of it, you are. And, and even when we did the record after that, I think you're just like excited to be making something and you don't have any of the other there's none of there's none of the additional baggage that comes with the process. You're not overly concerned about specificity in what you're doing or like hyper critiquing your you know what you're doing. There's there's like a rawness and like a an urgency that comes with not knowing any better, you know? It's it's just like very pure. Yeah. So I think for the most part we were just like really fucking amped to be in a studio, you know? Like you're you're not just in a in your friend's dad's hobby room you're like actually somewhere with microphones right. and gear and uh i think th that's exciting that's and that's still exciting to me like i still really love that process i love to record a record as much as i like to do any other part of this i think but um i, I don't know i think you second don't you second guess yourself way less when you're just like or or we did anyway we're just like going for it and there's good and bad of that <laughs> obviously when you listen to the record 15 years later it's difficult to even listen to because well yeah there's always going to be things <laughs> yeah yeah there's always going to be things you're like well i wish that was different or or um i just interviewed uh alexis from from daughters mm -hmm. and he was he was sort of saying that 
like we're we're talking about the finality of when you go to record and how that in and of itself is its own kind of thing where um you know playing it live it, it uh, songs always take on a different life mm. and it's it's always evolving and like you realize you're saying certain lines so much differently than you did on the record and then you know because you sometimes don't have a chance to really work those songs right. out um because you're not playing them live and all that sort of stuff so there's that extra sort of like weird pressure that comes on to where it's like, well, whatever you're going to do right now is going to be it for everybody. Right. You know, yeah. like who's going to listen to this? Um, yeah, it's, an, it's definitely. An act- I was curious. What is what was what were you I gonna was going to say? say that, and that's the sort of thing I think you don't have at the outset. Right. Like you, you I, I don't remember ever feeling like uh, how, how daunting committing to a part was when I was 16. Cause you're never you're not really thinking sure. about how it will evolve or you're not really thinking about it passing from your hands into the hands of a stranger either so exactly yeah it's like you you're you're like well this is just going to be for me and my group totally. of friends and like i can't imagine this is going to get out there further than that it, um i was actually curious what the story what what the deal with friction records was cuz i actually i looked up their you know like the the other releases i'm assuming just a very michigan based label like i saw they mm-hmm. put out uh, Bear vs. Shark and stuff like that. Um, I wasn't familiar with a lot of the titles because I, I was sort of just potentially wrongly assuming it was just a lot of Michigan-based bands. But yeah, um, what's what's the backstory there with that label and how did they come your way? Sure. So um, Friction Records uh, no longer operates, and I don't think at all. Um, maybe maybe he still ships out back catalog to the odd person here and there who would ask for something but um so friction was a record label that i knew about when i was pre you know pre law dispute high school because it was like the the grand rapids alternative label um and the guy who runs it and or who ran it jeff jvb as we call him jeff vandenberg um was a friend of my oldest brothers so he was like kind of when i was young he was like a, a cool like mythical local figure who ran the record label and who was friends with my my cool eldest brother who got me into like mm-hmm. fugazi and shit um but yeah it's very 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 michigan he ran a record label and like makes art and then when we got a little bit older he uh opened a bar and he is have you played pyramid scheme in Grand yes. Rapids. Uh, one yeah. time with you. Oh, yeah, with us. That's right. So he, he owns Pyramid Scheme. Um, oh, okay. So, yeah, when I was when I was like a young, I don't know, in middle school and high school and getting into music and going to the record store in downtown Grand Rapids, he was like a cool person that kind of ran the one operational local record label and put out a lot of Michigan, pretty much exclusively Michigan bands. There's a couple that are just like great lakes area there's a band from indiana um so yeah it was like it was like something someone we looked up to and he also was on the board at the arts cooperative that we sort of grew up playing shows at which is how that connection happened so he and his sister tammy who co-owns the pyramid scheme with him now um would run the door at our shows when we were 17 and packing a 90 person capacity art space by promoting our band on Zanga. Um, <laughs> nice. And then <laughs> honestly, I think we were like, not really the type of band that he 
put out either at the time um but we were generating a lot of excitement because we had all of our friends coming to shows so i think he thought sure it was you know whatever i don't think it was his cup of tea but i still love a lot of the bands on that label they're all bands that never really toured beyond just the the michigan and the great lakes area but there's a lot of really cool very obscure records that he put out back in the day and then the bigger things is that he did the the first two bear versus shark records on vinyl um and right. then the first russian circles record on vinyl i think and then that first maps yeah i saw that too ep so like towards the end of the record label's life he was doing like exclusive vinyl versions of um releases that had come out on cd via other more established record labels because it was i think right before the resurgence in vinyl popularity got it and what was did uh did you tour much on vancouver like uh do you remember what your first touring experience was <sighs> i know i do i really don't i mean i, I know we, i remember doing like like two week like maybe two weeks with some other local bands uh pre us releasing the following lp and no sleep but i don't know how extensively we toured i we were not particularly good about keeping our own archives i wish we'd been better about that but um oh I mean, i'm just yeah i was curious if like you did like a lot of like just sort of midwest weekend warrior stuff or or if you had remembered oh fuck yeah, yeah. dude we played we've played in every every tiny city in the state of michigan we played shows in the upper peninsula which i don't think any anybody ever has ever done yeah uh <laughs> so we we played a lot of i mean that was what we did for a long time i mean when i when we started i was still in high school so chad and uh everyone else had graduated high school and were uh in college and i was still in high school and still involved in weekend extracurricular activities so i remember the first show we played outside of grand rapids i was a junior in high school maybe a senior and we played the metal frat which we have played together um and the show didn't start till 11 30 because you're playing a, a frat mm -hmm. and i remember getting home on a saturday at like four in the morning and having to go to a theater competition at 6 30 in the morning so um the earliest shows we played were just fridays and saturdays and we did that for a long time until uh, we ventured ventured much further out it's talk to me a little bit about your theater stuff actually i don't know if we've ever had a conversation so did were you uh did you do just a lot of plays like a lot of a lot of acting in, in plays throughout high school i did um yeah so I, I did plays in high school i was pretty involved in the theater department i also did um like public speaking competitions it's called forensics not to be confused with the forensics uh forensic science what you'd see on csi but um basically like individual theatrical performances for competition which sounds very bizarre but is it kind of like long <laughs> is it sort of just like monologues kind of a, kind of yeah so kind of it's 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 there is a national forensics league but it's very popular in the state of michigan as an extracurricular activity um kind of has its own apparatus but there are two basic types of performance categories either you're doing like a uh, a public speaking event or you're doing a dramatic event 
Um, the public speaking stuff is like debate essentially, but individual debate. You're doing extemporaneous speeches, uh, which is like real serious shit where you're like given a political topic and you have to speak five to eight minutes, give a three point uh, presentation off the cuff about, you know, why you do or do not think Czechoslovakia should have broken into the Czech Republic and Slovakia. Just like a real specific nerd mm-hmm. shit. And then the flip side would be the dramatic interpretation events, which are like, um, I, I told story, I did storytelling. So I would every, it alternates every year between being a, a myth or a folktale as the category or a children's story. And then you basically in five to eight minutes deliver a memorized piece in either category. And the emphasis is on characterization so you like have to create <laughs> this is, i called the debate thing nerdy shit this is like ultimate I nerdy love shit so for four yeah. years when i was in high school i competed every weekend for a portion of the school year against other people from the state in per, like competitive storytelling how'd you do excuse me my body's also rejecting this uh my senior year i finished fifth in the state of michigan wow um, I feel like this informed a uh, lot of, I mean, the obvious stuff with what you do, <laughs> but I mean, I'm even on like the here, here stuff that you did originally, I know there's like yeah. a lot of storytelling and you've obviously always been great at it. You're, um, you're, Thank you. you, it, it always, it's, it, we've known each other so long at this point. Um, and we've definitely, we've so definitely long. blown, blown smoke at each other, uh, up each other's butts a few times, but like, um, you know, I put, mm-hmm. I would put you in a category with with like a john k sampson to where like you have always been huh. really wonderful at painting visual pictures when you're describing when you're singing a song you know like if it's a it's a it's a Thank very you. like storytelling you can kind of just you can see the environment as you're as you're listening to it and that's that's such a feat that um you know I, i've always been pretty pretty enamored by with uh with what you've been able to do so that makes a lot of sense. Like I appreciate it, it completely. That. that means a lot coming for you. Yeah. So, uh, how did no sleep enter the equation? Was that a MySpace message that that Hey, I like your band. I like. Did he find you on MySpace? Because uh, obviously he's in California. You're Definitely. in. You're in Michigan. Is that was that the connection? Yeah, I think it was. Um, I, I'm. I most of that stuff at the time. Brad's probably better at remembering because he dealt more directly with the administrative side of things. But I, I do think that. Chris heard Vancouver or whatever file sharing. I'm sure. Um, I don't know. You know, that, that was like a big part of that era too, which is very strange because it almost doesn't exist now. I don't think, but that record, you know, <laughs> well, somebody ripped it to the yeah. Back then, back <laughs> to, go ahead. Back then, we we would uh, illegally steal music uh, via you know bear share limewire whatever you want to call it. But now it's just now it's just outwards. <laughs> stealing so it's it's now it's just every it's just normal yeah now it's just straight up yeah who'd who'd have thought do you remember (laughs) like remember just the way the way that uh that the justice for lars the way that metallica was just dragged through the mud so bad the legal proceeding against napster and now i don't know i feel like we need to recontextualize that conversation i think we need to revisit whether or not we villainize the right people because i remember being like oh fuck this shit like yeah and, music should be free i'm sure that there wasn't like any <laughs> there wasn't some sort of like p- 
poor I don't think it was portent portent on on Lars's part. I don't think he saw the future. I think he wanted his fucking money. Right. <laughs> but like but yeah, like the the way that we the way that we consumed music via uh media fire links on Blogspot or LimeWire or whatever and now you just pay eight dollars a month and get unlimited access to to whatever you want. What, he actually you know, recently to what what amounts is yeah. He, Lars actually Lars and Phoebe Bridgers just interviewed each other recently, which I was like, that's what? yeah. I was like, well, okay, and uh, and they get into that a little bit about how how uh, yeah, like she she brings that up and they and he's just sort of like, yeah, man, we were that's cool. He's like, my back was against the wall. Everyone everyone who like he you know just to. Uh, I, won't, I won't pretend like I know the remember the entire conversation, but I, I, he basically was just like, "Yeah, everyone was with us until we got to like got real." And then I looked behind me, and we were by ourselves, you know. Um, yeah, and yeah. I, I mean, it's the same thing with Pearl Jam with Ticketmaster. You know, that was like they, that sure, was the first totally. iteration of that, where they were like, "Yo, this company is ripping all of us off, and this is not okay." So then they took it to court, and then they were by themselves, and they looked like you know they were they were shown as these kind of like spoiled, spoiled rock, rock stars. stars it's like no they're and that's why i mean i've always been a pearl jam fan but like i love that to this day they still don't use Ticketmaster. they've always been able yeah. to beat the system there which is uh which is something i've always applauded very yeah. cool um so who did you do somewhere with was that also did you record that in uh in grand rapids um at just a different studio yeah just a different studio so uh I don't remember. Yeah, Chris. Chris hit us up. We we. I'm sure well, this is. We got derailed from the. We talked about file sharing. Uh, Chris hit us up on MySpace. I'm sure, and I think that we had probably already started recording. To be honest, okay. I think that there were five songs that we recorded initially at one studio and re-recorded uh, post Chris approaching us. Because um, the the initial plan was to do just like a five song EP. Um, and I think once Chris hit us up and it seemed legit, I don't know, like it, it seemed like the, some of the bands on the record label were more established. I can't, your first seven inch come out. I, don't I, I can never remember what the timeline. I No, our seven inch was, if not the next release from him, it was like one or two after. Cause I remember okay. I got your CD from Chris. Um, he gave me a copy of the album on CD before the vinyl was out. And it was kind of like, he gave me like a care package. So it had like your CD had a fucking like that wonder years album with the captain crunch on the cover Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, and, uh, (laughs) and one or two other things. Um, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm, that was my first experience hearing your band was, was him giving me that CD. And then, you know, in my memory, it was within a handful of months that he hit me up to help a lot of book shows in LA. And that's okay. obviously when we met, but, uh, mm-hmm. that was your, was that your first time on the coast? I, I, re- I think it was right. That was your first time on the West coast. When I'm we pretty played positive. Together? Yeah. yeah. I think that was, yep. I'm pretty positive. We went out there. I, I, I think that that's, probably the extent of the West coast shows that we had booked, at least in California were the ones that, you put together maybe there there might have been one other one else we played some weird fucking shows um but yeah i think that was the first time we went out west the first time that we right met in la so uh, this is kind of a, a weird question uh do you remember when it was that 
you f- you were noticing the growth in your band popularity wise like was there hmm. a tour because it's hard it's you know it's sometimes I, I can kind of point to certain things with with us just kind of in our own home state or whatever but i think it was for us the title fight touche menzingers tour in 2011 like right when parting the sea came out that like it was it was becoming like okay these shows crazy and like everywhere we're playing there's people singing along and that was super overwhelming uh do you remember what it was for Mm -hmm. for a lot of dispute or when it was yeah i remember i well i mean even as early even like going back to the first you know the earliest incarnation of our band i remember maybe our second or third show and there being uh kids who drove up from kalamazoo which is the like the other big city in in west michigan Mm -hmm. it's like an hour south of grand rapids um and there being kids who drove up from kalamazoo who knew the words to songs and i remember feeling very blown away even then by the idea somebody might exist outside of my social circle and know my band exists enough to sing along at a show but i I remember the first time we went to europe and we played our first couple shows were in france which shows in france are uh (laughs) different than Mm -hmm. um in the other major countries in in europe that that most american bands tour so the experience playing france is you know is very is very different than playing germany or playing in in the uk um it's just a very specific culture surrounding music and it doesn't necessarily always include punk or rock or whatever so like we played shows in like a squat in france and it was cool there was like you know 20 25 people there and like some people uh new words and there's added novelty i'm sure given that our band is french and we don't speak it um but then the first show we played in germany uh, after like three shows in france and like pulling up to the venue in cologne and there being a line of like 100 kids on the street in this city we've never been to um that was the first time that i was like uh, i remember being genuinely uh blown away by i don't know it's such a strange thing to be so far away from home to have the opportunity to do it is already bizarre but at that point in time you're doing it for the adventure not for uh any delusions it might one day be a sustainable career sure um you know and then to get there and then to see that many people waiting mm-hmm. for the show to start is pretty fucking wild. It still blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, that, those first, uh, those first treks overseas are, are special in so many, so many ways. They're always hard, but also just, you know, rewarding in so many ways. Yeah. Do we, I remember the, our first European tour, we played, we made the mistake that we never made again, which is we played a show the day we landed, which. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would not put on my worst enemy. Terrible idea. Yeah, and nope. <laughs> uh, so that show was not anything I re- really remember favorably because I was just out of my mind and there was a handful of people and we were thankful anyone was there, but I remember it wasn't like a joyful experience. And uh, mm-hmm. But then the second show was in Budapest and it was like, from my memory, pretty full and very wild. And that to me was was that feeling of like, what? Like, huh? 
Like, yeah, this is, it was just, yeah, it was crazy. It was a lot of emailing home and just telling the, telling my, my folks like, this is not, this is crazy. (laughs) You know, this is crazy. It's crazy. Um, it's so crazy. It's still crazy to me. I mean, like, yeah, I don't know. Do you, uh, I haven't gotten tired of it. No. Do you, uh, do you remember, this this is kind of like the last question I'd like to ask, and then I'm going to, I'm going to bug you for, for some year end stuff because, uh, it's always kind of fun to talk about that with you. Um, do you, do you remember the first time it might, you might've even just answered it right there, but do you remember the first time where you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards and it was like actually happening and you it was like, Oh my God, I'm actually doing it. Yeah. I mean, that, that going overseas, I think was a big thing. Um, I don't, I don't know. Like I, the first time you like don't lose money. Yeah. Truthfully is pretty wild when you get to a point where like, because I, I I don't know I I don't remember ever like having sustainability be a significant consideration. I would have given up any level of comfort or you know certainty financially to have the opportunity to travel and play music, and I would have done it for five more years, making hat donation money in a basement probably, but. I think the first time, like, I don't know, first time you actually come back from tour and and have money that you can buy dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds dramatic, but, you know, that's that's not insignificant. And because I, I think that there's like a there's a there's a dueling nature of that sort of recklessness that compels you to pursue music in the way that we did as a career where um you 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 throw caution to the wind and everything else that happens doesn't really matter but i think you don't realize how much work you've put into it and how how you, it sort of like exists as uh, an abstract concept it's like your your passion for it it sounds it sounds uh you know as you say something like that like i can imagine you feel like is this a is this how you measure success but it, but like honestly it kind of is you know it's like you're able yeah. to do the thing that you love and you're able to come home and not be so scared about how you're going to make rent or how you're going to do something For sure. like that. And, and that, yeah, you know, it's, that's a real, real thing. I think that, um, that should never be taken for granted. Obviously I didn't ask you to, to try to come up with, uh, with any sort of a list and I wouldn't put that on you right now, but I was just curious if there was uh now that, you know, this is the new Year's show. Was there, was there any, I know you yeah. and I texted over the year about about certain movies we'd watched or, or things like that. It seemed like both of us were kind of taking in a lot of film um, throughout the year, just because what else are we going to do? Uh, was there any um, was there any movies that stood out to you this year that or or even that you just watched this year that uh, that that you you both really enjoyed or you really enjoyed? Yeah, um, it's funny. It's funny. I I feel like more often than not, I don't think about. Uh, music or movies that have come out in the the given calendar year until it's December and I start seeing lists pop up. Right, but this year, because of the forced solitude and and being in the home so much, uh, I feel like I was more connected to what was coming out. Yeah, music and movie wise, which are like the two, and books, which are like the I don't know, it's the bulk of the art I consume. Um, so I paid a little more attention to the movies that came out this year. I figured you might ask me this question. Movie that I really loved this year. 
I really love that movie Swallow. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. Um, you should watch the tra- it. Really the trailer makes it. me uncomfortable it, as it is. I, I I know it's one of those things where like I'm like I need to watch this movie, yeah. <laughs> but I know I'm I'm already uncomfortable. Like the there's aspects of that trailer alone that I was like, oh yeah, it feels very like Lars Van Trier kind of almost, but yeah, yeah, a little bit. In <clears throat> excuse me, um, definitely. I I I I like that in in the art. I consume generally i like just like the this the the unease yeah. that that's not necessarily forthright it's not necessarily obvious um i like feeling uncomfortable yeah when i watch things or listen to things and that movie does that really well the Haley bennett the the lead i think her name's Haley bennett. i might be wrong but uh she plays that role exceptionally well where she's just you can you can tell that she's uh conflicted internally you get uncomfortable watching her relationship with the other main character in the movie and then obviously the the swallowing of things which is an actual medically diagnosed impulse that people have to um so in that sense i really enjoyed it because it's it's not so it all just feels it also feels slightly left of slightly askew of reality right um and then it takes a very human turn towards the end and it, and it uh I, I think that's something i didn't expect i sort of anticipated it was kind of that like lars ventrier yeah postmodern like it's just gonna get very um very very grim i really like possessor that brandon cronenberg just movie. watch that I, i'm all for yeah. i'm all for like high concept slick looking science fiction just real quick just rattle off like give me like three just give me like three you don't have to be in an order just give me like three records you really like this year if there's anything that stood out to you in particular that you really liked sure uh i so there's a rapper from detroit uh, Boldy James, and right. he is prolific and put out two records this year: "The Price of Tea in China" and "Manger on McNichols." And I love both those fucking records. Um, there's been a lot of a lot of good screamo records that I enjoyed a lot. That band from Canada, Respire, mm-hmm. just put a record out called "Black Line," and I really like it quite a bit. It's very like symphonic, kind of walks that line between uh like black, metal and screamo yeah, like black metal and screamo yeah 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 um and I, there's a lot of there's there's strings and horns and everything so it's got like a, a symphonic thing subtly and and i enjoy that it isn't uh yeah it, it's great i like that record a lot um i really love the soul glow record that you did that secret voice put out um i am so short but so it's excited about good. what the, the future for that band holds i'm i'm really dude there's they're really uh, yeah yeah i'm i like that band a lot um i don't know it was a good it felt like a good year i like that bartiz strange record a lot mm-hmm. i generally i hate i hate this qualifier when talking about something you've enjoyed but it's really not something that i would normally go for and i find myself listening to that record frequently uh it makes me feel a certain way that I enjoy. Yeah, it's it makes you feel good. That's what it is. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like it's it's a it's a nice record. It's why I just did like a year end podcast with my friends that I do every year with Ray and Joey. Yeah, <laughs> and like a big thing that we kept coming back to was was a lot of the records that we liked were things that just felt uh, like a safe place that we're already familiar with. Like having like Bright Eyes with mm. the Deftones and things like that on your on your year end list is like it's a familiar sound that you just feel comfortable sitting in. Totally, you know, it's like I know this sound. Or things that are just, you know, make you feel good or 
you know, can put a smile on your face like the Bartiz record. It's it's yeah. that sort of a feeling that I think that uh, maybe a lot of us kind of honed in on more than maybe checking out all the newest things. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm glad there's always new music coming out. But I, I know for myself in particular, like I kind of zeroed in on things that um, just felt safe. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's like a, it's a wash. It's an emotional wash is sort of how yes. I felt about it all year. It's like anything that uh, takes my mind off of everything I've been consumed with throughout the course of any given day um, has been positive. Yeah. And, and it's, and I have like, I've done a lot of listening to new music that makes me feel a strong enough emotion that I'm, that I can focus on it or don't even have to think about it. Or I've been listening to records that I liked when I was a lot younger that just, uh, like you said, they feel, they feel comfortable. It's a familiar space. And yeah. Yeah. Jordan, thank you for your time. This is, uh, you're obviously someone that I knew was going to be on this podcast eventually. Uh, I was going to drag you into this thing. Um, so I appreciate <laughs> it. And I'm stoked that it was the the, the New Year's episode. Um, if there's ever an opportunity for me to have you back for a uh, another first experience, uh, you could, I don't know, you could talk about your first experience uh, ordering a Taco Bell or something. <laughs> I, any anytime. If you were ever out a guest, if you needed an emergency fill-in, I'm here. I had a great time. Yeah. Yeah. All my best. Yeah. Same to you. Bye, buddy. Uh, take care. Bye. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe or follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. And if you can spare a moment to give us a rating and review on Apple, it helps the show gain more visibility and that can make all the difference. Thank you, and I'll see you again next week. Yes.